enough about working with this way? I mean, it's a lot to go through in a short period of time. But does it give you a little bit of a sense? There are things that are not clear? I have a question. Yes, Anne. You know, about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I get a sinking spell. Is that something that I would be good, according to what you're talking about, to... uh, Um, I think it really needs a lot of discernment. You know, this is talking about working with things in a way which is uh, helpful. And so certainly, you know, having a choice around stuff like that or having tools and skills around stuff like that can make it so that you feel you have um, different options. But it's common in a 24-hour day cycle that our, our energy will drop out mm-hmm. at some times. And so uh, I guess it depends on, on what your interests and your, and your intention is. If, if, if you're like um, to, uh, to be able to rest when you're tired because then you have more energy afterwards, mm-hmm. there's nothing about that which is... Mm, Incorrect, but if you're interested in finding um, places where you can move into habits and find maybe different ways with them, then there, that might be a, a way or a, an opportunity to look at a natural cycle of energy and, and respond to it in a slightly different way. I don't think the attitude of trying to overcome it would necessarily be a helpful one. But to work with it as an opportunity so that you had more choices might be a, might be a way to work with it that would feel more uh, congruent with other values that you had. So, for example, when we're doing the all-night meditation vigil, you know, there's lots of times when we feel really sleepy and we work with it in different ways. You know, and sometimes we work with it just by resting. Sometimes we work with it by chanting or by being outside in the cool air at night, walking. So it's not like there's one way of working with it, but when we have a habit in the way that we respond to certain things, then we don't have a lot of choice. It comes up and then there's just an immediate, well, I've got to go rest right now. Does that help answer your question? Yeah. I noticed that as you kind of walked us through different things, I could feel all of those things mm-hmm. in myself, right? So as a recommendation to understand these things more about myself and how I experience them, it would it be more helpful to focus on one for a bit of time and then maybe a day or two later or even a week or so later? But, you know, when you stand, you think, oh, I don't have any of these things. And then when you bring attention to them in the more subtle levels, it's like, oh, they're all here. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. There's, they overlap. If you really delve into one, the oftentimes they, they're all aspects of all of them are there. So one thing I do is a lot of times it sits out to doubt the why, but it does. 
and I and I uh, focus on a teaching. That's bringing your attention to what you have confidence in. Yeah, in what I have confidence in. And that's one of the classical ways of relating to doubt is to do that. Because I focus mostly on the anger and the will. A couple of specific examples you know, that I've experienced. And so you say that you know, the, the natural reaction is to push away and to, to wish ill and want to harm. And the, the way to work with that is to bring it closer. But say it's a, a person that you, you, know, you want nothing to do with anymore. What, when you're working with how do you how do you bring it closer? What what, what are the, the actual techniques? Or? So the way of working <clears throat> with a person, first of all, you have to differentiate between anger, which arises as a protective mechanism, and anger, which arises, which really has just ill will as its basis, because it's different. And you know, in my contorted relationship with anger, I've had to actually recognize that anger has a healthy function, which is is that when your boundaries have just been trashed and you feel angry, that's a good thing. It means that you're trying to establish appropriate boundaries. It's a protective mechanism so that you don't get harmed. All right. So if, if your only understanding is, is that all anger is not helpful, then you don't relate in the right way to this stuff when it arises. Because I had to give myself permission and recognize that when it arose because boundaries had been transgressed, it was actually a protective mechanism. It didn't mean that it was okay for me to dump on others, but it also meant that I shouldn't trash myself, you know, that it was actually something that was supportive. If it's not arising as a protective mechanism, if it's arising as a, like a kind of get out of here, get out of my space, Building I don't want to... Yeah, get out of... Then the way to embrace the person is to focus on the qualities about them that you share in common as a human being to focus on the things about them that you know are wholesome and kind and generous, to focus on your, the commonality that, um, that as human beings we will die and that we share that in common. And no matter how horrendous they are, they're going to share that with, in the same way that we're going to have to go through that. So it cuts through the kind of the irritation of what the circumstance was and goes to a more universal truth. Okay. Sometimes what can be helpful when you're dealing with another person is to see the pain that they're in that has, that has contributed or caused them to do what they're doing. Or sometimes it's not pain, it's just simply ignorance. They didn't have a clue that the effect of what they were going to do was going to be what it is. What their desires are. Right, yeah. yeah. And you just focus and work with that during the meditation. That's right. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean with this kind of thing that you let people use you or abuse you or step on you or shout at you or be nasty to you or abusive to you. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that you cease to be wanting to hurt and harm them because you can absolutely say no with a very loud voice and absolutely make it clear you will not accept unacceptable behavior, but you can do it with no um, anger. So you can make a big, loud noise with no anger. So one of the things that's really helpful is it's almost like theater. It's not quite theater, but it's almost like theater, where you can make a large display in order to make your point, but you're doing it with a completely empty heart. 
So you can take on ferocious manifestations, but there's no ill will. No ill will. You're just doing it because it's what's needed. And I remember there was a fellow in the monastery who he couldn't hear things if they were really important unless you were hollering at him. You know, so in an English monastery, it's absolutely not the custom to holler. You know, it's like not the done thing. But with him, if I had something really important that I really needed him to say, he would not hear it unless I was screaming at the top of my lungs. So I knew that if I needed to say something, I had to scream at the top of my lungs. Desire, is desire always bad? And I realize there's pretty that there are different levels of desire. But I don't, like, couldn't your desires be positive? So in the English language, we don't have a lot of differentiation of different kinds yeah. of desires. In the Pali language, there is a lot of differentiation for different kinds of desires. So aspiration has a totally different word than desire. It's called chanda, okay? And it's not part of the hindrances. To have aspiration is not a hindrance, all right? To have that, you know, to, to desire health, you know? To, to desire to be safe, to desire to, to have... Um, uh, enough requisites. You know, part of that is just the basic needs of what is needed in order to live. Yeah? And so it's not a hindrance in the same kind of way. But anytime there's a grasping and an identification and an inability to let go, that's going to be suffering. And even if what we're grasping onto, grasping onto d- enlightenment or freedom is grasping. And at some point, we have to give it up. Because otherwise, it itself is the thing that is going to be the obstacle to what it is that we're longing for. But you're right. And so, like, having the desire to meditate, or having the desire to listen to teachings, or having the desire to practice with other people, it's a healthy desire. And some teachers say, you know, these kinds of desire, attach as much as you can to them. (laughs) Because they are support systems that will help you, give you the ground and the tools so that you'll be able to do it more on your own. Ajahn Chah used to use the image, you know, when you go and buy a banana, why do you buy the peel? You don't eat the peel. Why do you buy the peel? Well, the banana comes with the peel. So when you buy a banana, you get the banana and you get the peel. You know, and if the first thing you did when you got the banana is you threw away the peel, the banana would rot. So you have to wait until it's time to eat the banana before you throw away the peel. Well, the same is true with a lot of desires. This is that they come together. And you have to wait until the right time until you get rid of the thing that's no longer serving. But if you get rid of it too soon, then you the banana rots. It doesn't stay fresh. Maybe you have to think about that one for a Illness is a very interesting one because it's natural to desire not to be ill. Mm -hmm. But somebody who's dealing with chronic illness, you know, there's an edge between a desire to make the effort to get well and a desire which is an attachment, which is a grasping to something which is not what's happening. It's an edge. And 
it's not as if anybody can tell somebody else how they should practice. But the exploration of this edge is very, very rich with people who are chronically ill or chronically in pain. It's very alive. Say again with the edges. Well, one side of the edge is the effort to make, uh, do things in order to help yourself. Such as? Take medicines or go to physical therapy or see different doctors or change your diet 5, 10, 15 times or whatever, okay? And then the other edge is, is the desire to, for it to be different and not accepting that this is the way that it is, that there's pain, that there's illness, it's not shifting. So healthy to do, to try and help yourself by going to physical therapy or whatever, not healthy just to wish it was going away. That's the edge? Well, sometimes what you need to do is to make the effort to go to different doctors without any um, desire for an outcome. So you make an effort and give up the outcome this is actually going to be the thing that's going to do it for me because the desire for the outcome is often cycle that gets us stuck in the cycle of, of excitement and disappointment. Here's a new thing, a new tool, a new medicine, a new treatment, a new something. Yeah? And it, it's important to take care, but it's also sometimes there are things that just don't shift or they don't shift very easily or they need something else to shift. So with long-term chronic illness or chronic pain, it's a very interesting edge to work with one's practice. Staying in relationship with it, watching aversion and desire, and continuing to do things which are compassionate and wise without falling into the, into the grasping or, or expectation of desired outcome. I mean, this, the other side is true of ill will. So some people it will work in terms of desire, and other people it will work in terms of ill will. I want to get rid of this. I want to get rid of this illness. I want to get rid of this pain. I want to get rid of this limitation. I want to get rid of this disability. I want to get rid of it. I want it out of here. I want it to go away. And so again, there has to be the, the balance between making effort to support one's health and well-being and increase in mobility and increase without the, the aversion that, that this is present. And because with chronic pain and chronic illnesses, we're often pushed into areas of experience that we would absolutely not go willingly, then there's tremendous richness in this to explore if there's a willingness to open to what's there. I mean, I think fundamentally we have the belief that if we're in pain, something is fundamentally wrong. And certainly, we don't want to be in pain, and we want to support each other not to be in pain. But when you have a body, pain is part of what we get when you have a body. And we just, we find that totally unacceptable. Having a hard time trying to realize what it looks like to be chronically in pain and not want it just to be gone. What does that look like? What, what do you do? Just sit here and go, oh, I'm in pain. That hurts. What, what does it look like to not want that pain gone? <laughs> it's an acceptance that this is what's happening right now. And one makes an effort to do what one can to support it changing. But one is not attached to the possibility or not attached to the fact that it is going to go or it will go or that one hopes it will go. 
So it's 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 an experience of of, of non attachment, complete recognition of the pain, a willingness to stay present and do what's needed, and and not have my happiness will be when this goes away. Okay. You know that my whole life is contingent upon this not being here. And until that happens, everything is in suspended animation. I definitely wanted them to go away, <laughs> and I couldn't understand why they weren't going away. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, but they weren't going away, so I had to accept that they weren't going away, and so I had to take a different course of action, which was to move as fast as I could in a in a place that was really hard to move quickly. So, but I wasn't I wasn't freaked out. So even though. You know, when I was two, I had gotten bitten by one bee, and I was very, very sick. I didn't have an anaphylactic reaction, but I had a fever for a week. So I knew that it was in my mind from the beginning that it was possible that this could have been catastrophic, you know. And yet, I wasn't experiencing um, fear. I was experiencing tension because it was hurting me, and because I was trying to move quickly, and I had to keep my wits about me so that I didn't break my ankle as I was trying to get rid of the away from the bees. But I wasn't freaked out, and so they kept biting and stinging, and I kept moving, and they kept following. And I got to the buildings, and they were they left by the time I finally got to the buildings, and you know I had stings everywhere in my face, in my hands, in my head, in my everywhere and and I could pull out the ones that I could see but I couldn't pull out the ones that I couldn't see but I wasn't freaked out so I went to the nun and I said you know something's happened which is unfortunate and I said you know I've been stung by many bees and then Robin pulled out the stingers that I couldn't see and I asked her to count how many how many there were and there were a lot (laughs) like way a lot and so I knew, and the nun knew, that, you know, you can have a, a very severe reaction to a few, and I had all way a lot. But I also didn't have health insurance. So normally, if something like that happens, you just hightail it to the hospital and you let them sort it out. But I didn't have health insurance, and I knew that if I had done that, it probably would have cost several thousand dollars. So I thought, well, let's just wait and see if I need to go. Obviously, if I need to go, I'll go. But if I don't need to go, I prefer not to. So there was no no indication that I was having any kind of a severe reaction. So the swelling wasn't closing off my throat. My breathing wasn't getting so obstructed that I was having a hard time. And the nun was a medical doctor. She was an anesthesiologist, so she knew about you know, what was needed. So she gave me some medicine for asthma. And and I asked her if she had an antihistamine. She got somebody to bring one. So we had something set up. But what was fascinating to me was I was not freaked out. 
So even if even if it was catastrophic, I was not freaked out. It was just this is what's happening. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. You know, how do you deal with it right now? This is what's happening. And so, um, and to me, you know, I find that um, encouraging. You know, that you can have really kind of pretty heavy duty things happen, and you can just deal with it in the present moment. I am one where I get rattled by stuff that happens with people more than I get rattled by catastrophic things that could happen with animals and nature. That, to me, I manage with much more ease and equanimity than when stuff happens with some people. There's certain things that can happen with people that just broadside me and I feel completely destabilized by. So it's not as if the equanimity is, you know, comprehensive and everywhere, you know, so. But it's nice when it's there when it's needed. (laughs) And when it's not there when it's needed, then you don't make more out of the fact that it's not there. You know? So I was pretty rattled when I was leaving Colorado Springs, you know? And I thought, well, I'm pretty rattled. There's no point in making it worse. You know? It it seems that, I guess, the gateway to recognize it. Change who you are is to recognize whatever that is that's causing I guess in my own situation, until I recognized that I was angry, I just continued angry. The trigger would always come up. But when I I finally started to think and recognize anger, where's it coming from? What do I need to do about it? That's right. Now, with anger, one of the things that I found with anger was I had to develop my capacity to hold anger. I actually, it was like, you know, we had a a big, huge wood-burning stove that one of the monks designed and built in the workshop that you could open up this lid and pour a whole garbage can in of junk to burn. You could put tree trunks in it. It was designed like that. And I would save the turpentine from the paintbrushes and pour it on there and throw a match, and it would go whoosh. You know, and sometimes the walls would be red hot, but the iron was strong enough that it would hold the heat so it didn't break and the floor didn't get filled up with the fire. Well, our bodies are like that. We have to actually develop containers to hold the heat. And that's true with anger, and it's also true with desire. So, you know, I've had some experiences that were really cha- really challenging, you know, and, and scary because, like, one of the things about sexual desire as a celibate is, is that if you break the precepts, there's nothing that's greater taboo than breaking precepts around those things, you know? And so there was somebody who was um, playing games with me, and somebody, and, and it, was, it was not, it was not um, friendly and kind. It was, he was, he was, it was not helpful at all. And I was I was agitated because I was I, I was I was anxious for my own ability to keep my own precepts, you know. And so I remember in that circumstance, I had to do the worst case scenario situation. So there's somebody there was some chemistry, and I thought, and he's trying to agitate and make it stronger, and then asked me if I would leave to be with him, and I thought this is totally out of hand, you know. This is like way out of bounds. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? And so I thought, well, I'll imagine the worst possible thing. So I imagined that my teacher took him and me to a little hut that was specifically designed for this practice. 
so that it had one bed that fit the entire floor, and the ceiling was so low you couldn't turn the bed on its edge, so there was no possible way that I would be able to have any separation from this person. And the windows you could not leave from. And he twinkled, my teacher twinkled at me, locked us in the door, and basically said, enjoy yourself, sister. So he gave me carte blanche, okay, to do whatever I felt I needed to do. And there I was in my head with this person in a very small space with chemistry that was through the roof, and what do I do? And I thought, I'll just sit there like this and I won't talk to him. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous, you know. You know, can I hold that and actually navigate it in a way that feels congruent with my... And then I thought, all right, so, you know, if I... Do, do I really want to be in a relationship with this person? No. <laughs> <laughs> and if I did want to be in a relationship with this person, do I want to start it that way? No. All right, so can I hold that knowing in this context? Yes. And the fascinating thing was it was just a thought experiment, but it just like pulled out the heat from the circumstance. And so part of what was happening was I was freaked out about the fact that there was all of this energy. And I was afraid of what might, what might happen. And then when I did that and realized I was actually safe, you know, that actually I could feel as strongly as I wanted to and I would be able to maintain the precepts with absolute integrity. It's like, you want there to be energy? Let there be energy. If it wants to go up to the ceiling, let it go up to the ceiling. If it's going to go up to the moon, let it go up to the moon. I had found my own safety. And because I'd found my own safety, I didn't need the energy not to be there. And it was incredibly liberating because I didn't have to not feel different than I was feeling and feel completely peaceful about it. Totally transforming. And the only thing that I did was I said, what's the worst possible thing? And put myself right in the middle of it and see what would happen. Now, that worked for me. I I told this story in front of the monastery and some of the monks said, you have got to be joking. I can so no way do that, even as a thought experiment. (laughs) (laughs) Like, forget that. (laughs) But for me, it worked. It was fine. It was exactly what I needed. And I helped because then I, I felt totally safe. And that's what I needed because it, it was I was afraid for myself. Is there anything else to close with? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.